0: You're not happy with that? Thank God for your job. You don't have one? Thank God for your health. Your health's broken? Thank God for one thing that all of us can thank God for, and that is we have a Savior who loves us more than we will ever know. And that one thing transcends everything else. I looked out in the 1015 service this morning and saw Sister Connie Guide, and I recently received an email from her husband, Patrick, who has ALS, this degenerative disease. It robs you of your ability to communicate and function. He's been in the hospital now for, I don't even know how long. James, you know, how, it's, it's been a long, year and a half, maybe even longer, years. And he communicates. And if you receive an email from him, you need to know this. His email is coming, not because he's typing, but because his condition has deteriorated to such a place that his email is actually because of a voice-actuated computer synth- synthesizer connected to his computer. And he'll speak, and it types in the words. And, and he, he sent me an email, and I was so blessed when I read it, when he was talking about how incredibly blessed he was and how good God was and, and how God was going to use what he was walking through as a testimony. And when I, I read that, I thought, man, he already is, because you don't know how you bless me when I see the grace of God on your life like this. Just lift your hands and say thank you, God, because there's nobody greater than you. Every one of us has something to thank God for. Yes, we do. And so I've been in a series on Kingdom Keys to an Abundant Life that we may experience it. How, what? Much love, many blessings. Shout it out and great favor. And in the course of this series, we've been using as our text the book of Proverbs, chapter number four, these incredibly powerful verses from Proverbs 4 beginning at verse 20. And they can put them up on the screen that talk about the preeminence of the Word of God. And what I've tried to show you in this is that when it talks about this, it's not talking about the stories in the Bible. The stories are part of truth, but they are not truth in and of themselves. I'll tell you why they're a part of truth. They're a part of truth because they illustrate a point. Many years ago, a couple hundred years ago, in in London, England, there was this World-renowned, 150 years ago, this world-renowned preacher by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, they called him the Boy Wonder, the Boy Preacher of London, because at the age of 16, he was commanding the largest crowds in Europe. Thousands and thousands would come hearing. He was the dean of preachers, and he writes in his, his excerpts to preachers and would teach this in his, his uh, seminary on, to young men who wanted to speak, that illustrations are the windows that let light in to your subject. And in the Bible, you might say the stories are the illustrations. And illustrations do one thing. They illustrate something. They illustrate a truth. And so the stories in the Bible, when you read them, yes, by all means, get the characters and the details right. But what you really need to be looking at is what is the truth that that story contains. And when I say truth, that's an interchangeable term. Another synonym for truth might be principle, might be spiritual law, you see. And so the Bible says if you find it, verse 22, it's health to all your flesh. The word health there literally means a prescription in the Hebrew, as I pointed out. This became even more real to me the other day. And some of the grandchildren got together, and they were having a birthday party. And a bunch of folk were there, and, and also one of uh, Tracy's grandchildren uh, was having a birthday that same day, so got together and there were friends that were there that are members of the church and they 're friends of my son in law and his and my daughter and uh, live uh, practically almost next door to each other and he 's a doctor and while we were talking he 's telling me about the changes in the medica- medical industry made me here this morning and i don 't say this uh, 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 to divulge any confidence because he was telling me this and and I thought it was thought the way he expressed it was just incredibly impacting. And he, he talked about people making something of their lives. And when people ask him, what did it take to become a doctor? This is what he says. Well, I, I, went to the, I went through the 26th grade. Because he said, that's what people relate to. Some people that get a high school diploma go through grade 12. Others that get a four-year college degree go through ga- grade 16. He went through grade 26." That's how many years he spent studying. Think about that. And that's why we have such regard for the input and advice that people like that give us, right? Because we know they studied. But here's my point. I don't care how studied and learned and educated and knowledgeable. Someone like the doctors in our church or someone in another profession may be. Their input doesn't do you any good unless you take it. I've yet to see a doctor chase a patient down the aisle of grocery store and make them take their medication. Get my point? In fact, recently connected with some of our people in Africa, there was a young woman, the daughter in, in a family, and she had them try, spinal meningitis, that's the name I'm trying to think of, this, this infection of the, of the lining of the brain, and she didn't want to take her medication, and she was in the hospital. And this is the third flare-up she's had, and the doctor said she's dying. Doctor told me these words. He said one, He said, 10 out of 100 even survive the level she's at right now. And of those 10 that survive, 9 of them will be in a vegetative state the rest of her life. One will return back to a somewhat normal life. That, that's what the doctor told me, the specialist that was addressing this issue. And the doctor is trying to give her medication, and she refuses to take it, and he said, take her home. And she's in the hospital. She's pulling IVs out of her arm. The doctor said, take her home. And the family said, no, she'll die. He said, I know. But he said, I can't force the patient to take the medication. I thought that was also very impacting. I might tell you now that she's come completely out of the coma, and that now she's walking and talking, and... This young girl is is putting on weight again. The family is unbelievable and giving God praise for the miracle that God has done. And even the doctor who told me there was only one chance out of 100 she would ever recover is amazed. Calling a miracle. Now, having said all of that, let me move on. This medicine is not going to do you any good if you don't take it and don't expect the doctor, the great physician, to chase you down the aisle. You've got to hunger for it and want it. But what makes us stop reaching for it is this insidious attack of the enemy to try to destroy the credibility of, the, of God's Word and make us doubt it. We don't believe in it. We don't accept it. We don't take it as the supreme answer, the advice that we need. I mean, and so I've dealt in this series with things, this part of the series this year, about faith. Kingdom keys to an abundant life, one of those is faith. And certainly... If they can convince you there's no God, His Word is not inspired, it's full of mistakes, you just evolved, you know, if all of these things can be, can be, become a part of your worldview, if they can make that happen, you're not going to get the medication you need and your life's not going to be transformed. And here's my point. So because of that, I'm now focusing on these very issues. And I've come to this, this thing about destiny because there are these irrevocable laws that the whole universe operates on. I'll give you one for example, okay? If you don't know the rules of the game, you don't know what to make of what you see happening around you. Success is the result of aligning yourselves with the irrevocable laws of the universe that will not be broken. And if you see somebody successful, it's not that they're smarter or wiser necessarily than anybody else. They've aligned themselves correctly. On the other hand, you ever hear this? Somebody say, I don't fit in. They describe themselves as a misfit. Let me tell you what that means. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. We'll give you a translation for that, okay? I'm going to interpret it for you. What it means is they haven't yet either discerned or aligned themselves with the rules that you must observe in life. One of those rules is, for example, you must have a thankful heart if you're going to move to the next level. Enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. You don't get beyond the gate until you finally become thankful that they didn't say thank be thankful only if good things are happening you've got to be thankful in the middle of everything and I just gave you the secret how if your life falling apart your hell's, hell's falling apart you've lost your job your business is going under your family is in, in trouble no matter what's going on your finances have disappeared and dried up on you you still have a savior and that's worth everything because this is not heaven yet <laughs> come on somebody somebody in the room <laughs> I want you to see this. Somebody in the room, I want you to get this. Look around. You haven't seen any streets of gold lately, have you? Huh? What about angels? Seen any angels? I know some of us think that's what we're looking at when we look in the mirror, but trust me, that's not. (laughs) Amen. We live in a fallen world ruled by a fallen Lord, and we are fallen people with feet made of clay. And so, you need to discern the rules of the game of life. And I'm thinking right now, this guy who brought his new girlfriend, she was blonde. Sorry for the blondes that are in the building. I'm not poking fun at you. And my, my wife, what color is your hair this week? I'm married to a blonde this week. Amen. Amen. Sorry about that. I'm mean, just having fun. She knows I like teaser. And if you know me, you know I enjoy teasing the people that I love. But at any rate, he brings his, his, his new girlfriend. He gets seats right behind their team at the team bench and they're sitting there watching the whole game. And at the end of the, and it's toughly fought and it's been competitive and it's been a fierce struggle. And at the end of the game, he turned to his, his new girlfriend and said, Well, what'd you think? And she said, Sure look like a lot of fuss for 25 cents to me. And he said, What do you mean? She said, Well, it's a lot of fuss for a quarter. He said, I don't get it. She said, Well, before the game started, the referee tossed a coin. And one of the teams won the coin toss, and the rest of the game, they were fighting, shouting, get the quarterback, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. She said it was just 25 cents, hello? You don't understand life until you discern what's going on. (laughs) Lord, I apologize for embarrassing any blondes within this Amen. Say it another way. Years ago, I was preaching in New Orleans. My family was there with me. Remember Charles Brown? And there came one of these. That was a hurricane that came through there, wasn't it? Hey, it, I, I said a storm in the earlier services, but come think of it, it was a hurricane. That, that part of it, the outskirts of the hurricane, hit New Orleans. And it's a low lying area, as we all know from what happened with that terrible hurricane here some years ago there. And uh, bottom line is all of the ditches that normally were dry the drainage ditches were now full and so service was going to be that night it had rained up through that morning and now it was over we were going to have service that night because back in that day no worky no pay, you know so as an evangelist you wanted to have service and you want because you, there's no food on the table if you don't preach and so we're having we're going to have service and I go to the church that afternoon and there's a little boy sitting right by the ditch that's near the church and he's five or six years old and he's fishing in this ditch this drainage ditch that is always dry it's been dry the entire revival up until this rain came now trust me when it rains in new orleans or down here we know what rain is i hear these people i've been in seattle they claim it has 300 days of rain a year that's not rain i'd be embarrassed they say it's raining i look outside i'm embarrassed they're using the word rain we have other words to describe that. That's a sprinkle. That's what that is. That's not a rain. You know, what? we have rain in Louisiana, amen. We have rain in Texas, south, east Texas. At any rate, it had rain, and the window was down the car. And I looked at the little boy and said, "What you doing?" He said, "I'm fishing, catching fish." And I didn't have the heart to tell him, "Son, I don't care how long you sit there, or what equipment you use, or what bait you use. You're not going to catch any fish there because you're not in your place." He'll be no more successful in that than some of you men that are deer hunters or ladies that are deer hunters would be if you went and set up a deer stand downtown by one of the skyscrapers. You may have the latest tree stand and attach it to the street light, in the pole, you know. And you may have camouflage, and you may have zeroed in your rifle and got it all scoped in and everything. You know what I'm saying? And you may have camouflage paint on as well as your, your overalls, and, and you can wait till doomsday. You're not going to get a deer that's spelled D-E-E-R downtown. You may find one that's spelled D-E-A-R but not D-E-E-R. You understand what I'm saying? And that's because you're not in the right place. And what I'm talking about with destiny is discerning your place in the body of Christ. Because until you know that, there's no fulfillment. Now having said all of that, I want to tell you that I'll finish this part of it up next week. And then I'm going to talk to you about something that I feel that's also very important. And that is being satisfied in your place. Knowing how to discern your place and how to live in it. Because there's so many people that feel that whatever they're doing is insignificant. It's unimportant. They're here serving God. And they may actually be in their role, but they're not getting any satisfaction out of it because they've got the idea that unless I am doing something mighty for God and setting the world on fire, and unless I quit my job and be a missionary, you know, to New Guinea or someplace, my life doesn't count. Wrong. God may want you to use your place on that job as a marketplace assignment for ministry to win people there and your excellence in what you're doing to be able to influence others to serve God. In fact, you don't even know it. God may have elevated you to be successful at the level you're at right now that you can impact lives and use that as your pulpit. He may never call you to exercise a pulpit ministry in the sense of what I'm doing here today, but does that mean you don't have significance? No, to the contrary. Once you discern your place in the body of Christ, then all these pieces come together. So I want to talk to you about how to do that. But now let's move on because I've talked to you about all of these different principles. Everything God made has a purpose. Since he made you, that means you have a purpose. When God created you, he equipped you with gifts and released the resources in the heavens necessary to fulfill this 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 purpose or destiny in your life. Number four, everything he gives, he gives in seed form. Number five, it's your responsibility to develop and grow it until it becomes a powerful resource or a powerful gift. Number six, when you achieve the purposes for which he created you, three things will happen. You will experience fulfillment. Kingdom purposes will be accomplished, and you will bring your creator honor and glory. Number seven, Satan will always, 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 always oppose the development of your gift. But if you pursue and develop it anyway, but through persistence and and consistency and you refuse to give up, the next thing you need to know is he's going to seek to subvert that. What that means is, let me just make it plain. If your gift is making money, he's going to fight you and try to keep you broke. But if you ever do break through, he's going to try to get you to spend it on everything but what he meant for you to spend it on. What God gave it to you for. Amen. You see what I'm talking about? Or if your gift is music, he's going to fight you and fight you and fight you. And very few ever break through professionally. But if you do, he's going to make you want to be the next little Wayne or something like that. And get out there and be stupid. and do. You understand what I'm talking about? And lead people the wrong direction. Amen. Number eight, the greater the opposition you face, the greater the destiny. People are always saying, why me? Why me? You ought to be saying, hallelujah, thank God it's me. Amen. It's walking through this. The greater the opposition, the greater the destiny. Number nine, if you stay faithful and committed to God and His plans for your life, you will experience divine immunity. You cannot fail. That brings me to point number 10, and that is rather than allowing the enemy to be successful, God will instead turn the weapons and strategies devised by the enemy against Him. Ephesians 1 and 11 In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. I want you to notice two things right there. He has a plan. He has a purpose. There's that word again, purpose. I'm talking about aligning yourselves with the irrevocable laws of God that have to do with purpose. Another word for purpose might be destiny. Now, watch this. Four words I want you to get out of that that you need to remember as long as you live. Notice them? They're actually in the third line there. Works everything or works, who works out everything. Just simply say, he works everything out. Would you do that? You didn't get that. I could close my Bible and go home and that right there is enough to transform your life if if you grab it. He works everything out. Say it. He works everything. What does he work out? Some things, no. He works everything out. Settle it in your mind. God works everything out. At the end of the day, God's going to turn it around to your favor. Amen. He works everything out. But you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the bad stuff i faced. He works everything out. All the bad stuff, the difficult things in life. One of the problems that we have, and I need you to understand this, is we keep looking for affirmation from the wrong people. I said it a while ago we live, we're fallen people that live in a fallen world that's ruled by a fallen Lord. And we keep looking to people to try to fix us and help us. Nobody can tell you who you are but your Father, which is in heaven. People can say ugly things about you, bad things. You shouldn't be affected by that. It's God who speaks his destiny over your life and God who determines who you are, not everybody else. And so watch this close because this is important. I mentioned this in the service and I don't mean to embarrass any of our staff, but I'm trying to help us all to grow. Years ago, because I came from a wounded and hurt background, somebody noticed that in me and said, Son, I want to tell you something. For you to be a successful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a little secret. An older, wiser minister said, You need to learn to say three words and say them freely and easily and never let them get caught in your throat. You need to learn to say it and mean it. And every once in a while, I'll give it at different times, different ones of our staff. I'll just test to see how well they do this. And I, you know what those three words are? I love you. Say it freely, say it often, and never let it get hung up here. Because the one thing that people need in this life is love and acceptance. They've gone through too much rejection and pain and hurt. And as a minister, I am positioned as a conduit through which God wants to minister love through his word to the people that he has assigned me care over. You understand what I'm talking about? And so, you know, you can say, oh, I'm just a man. I don't say that. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You're not saying that because your own reservoir is so low, you're afraid it's going to diminish what little you have in your tank for you to give those words away. I want to tell you the three words you can give away all day long and never lose what you've got. I love you. What it does is it makes your tank get more full, not less full. Can I hear somebody in the building say hallelujah? But you don't know what I've been through. That's the whole point. He works everything out. And it's based upon this principle that I'm talking about. That God will always take what the enemy meant to destroy you and turn it around for your good and use it to destroy the the, the purposes of the enemy. This is based on Romans 8 and 28. Read it and we know. I'm not guessing here. There's some things you can guess at. There's some things you can hypothesize. There's some things you can feel. There's some things you might even believe. But there's some things, Paul said, we know. And one of the things we know in that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called, uh uh-oh, there it is again, according to his purpose. When you align with God's purpose, everything is going to end up working out for your favor and for no, wait, you're still not getting it. Uh, you're saying, "Oh, uh, yeah, I believe that." Uh, uh-uh. uh, in your your life, you don't. You mean that job you lost is going to work for your good? Now we're getting real. That divorce you went through end up working for your good? You say, hey, "I, Pastor, that, that's a little too much in your in my face." Have compassion. I am. Because in our failure to understand this principle, we often negate the value of this principle by not acting in faith. Because we fail to understand this law really works. And again, what is success? Success is aligning yourselves with the irrevocable laws by which God governs this world. This is one of those. What is frustration? I'll give you another definition for stress. It's trying to live your life in opposition to the principles that cannot be broken by you or anybody else. That's another definition of stress. Now, when you look at the Bible, you will find amazingly the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and all books in between contain these incredible stories that, as Spurgeon said, let light into the truth that I've just mentioned. They are the illustrations. The stories are not the main thing. The main thing is the truth they contain. How many of us have failed to see this in Scripture? Story after story, God took the most impossible circumstance, the most difficult hardship and ended up reversing it and putting the person that was walking through it in charge of it and using the weapon the devil thought he was going to use to destroy this person as the very means to promote him and destroy the kingdom of darkness. Look at Joseph. Joseph has been appointed by God, and God gives him two dreams. Let me tell you why God gave him those dreams. Two reasons. Number one, so Joseph would have something to hold on to when he was walking through what he had to walk through to get there. Second reason is so Joseph would go blab it. You know, because there is a principle. you heard it in church. Blab it and grab it and name it and whatever. You understand what I mean? So here's what Joseph, Joseph is going around blabbing it and grabbing it. Telling all of his brothers, Satan, what God wanted the devil to do. See, the devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. God gives Joseph these dreams. The devil who is watching says, mm-hmm, i got to get rid of Joseph. He's got destiny all over his life. Ha, ha, ha. And so what Satan does is he stirs up the brothers with jealousy. And they conspire and throw their own brother in a pit and want to leave him to die. And then some Ishmaelites come along and they have second thoughts and say, Why let him die? We can sell him as a slave and make some money. Amen. And so they sold him into slavery. They didn't even realize that the reason that God wanted the, the devil to hear the story was so the devil would set this very thing up. Here's why. Because God knew there was a famine coming. And the famine was going to be severe in, the, in Canaan's land. But there would be food in Egypt. And and he needed to position Joseph to save this fledgling family that was the beginning of the new nation of Israel. He needed the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel was going to be the vehicle through which the Messiah would come. I taught you last week when once a word goes out of God's mouth, it cannot return to him void. He releases it into the heavens. It's our job to reach up there and pull it down to this dimension. Now, God has spoken this word, a Messiah is coming, found in the book of Genesis, amen, that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. So he now is creating a nation through which the Messiah can come. He needs the nation as a vehicle to birth in this earthly dimension what he's already spoken in the heavenly dimension. Watch it. This is going to get fast on you. You've got to catch it. And so... God is going to use Joseph to preserve the nation. The only problem is Joseph is in Canaan. He needs to get him down to Egypt. And so the poor old devil doesn't even know he's been set up. And so he's the one that's actually going to provide gas and transportation to get Joseph to where God wanted him to be to begin with. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? And we're fussing about what we're going through. And all it is is God using the devil to get us where our next blessing is coming from. Woo! And before Joseph's life is over, he realizes this. Because in Genesis 50 and verse number 20, he tells his brothers, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. God couldn't have used Joseph when he was in Canaan. He had to get him down to Egypt. So he used the devil's camels to get him down there. You hear what I'm talking about? I love the way God turns it around on the devil every time. All things work together for good. He works everything out. You need to learn that. He works everything out. I look at Moses. First thing the devil tried to do was kill Moses when he couldn't kill him as a baby. He then caused him to make a mistake that would put him in the, in the, on the sidelines in the desert for the rest of his life. <laughs> not even realizing that what God actually was raising Moses up for was to lead the children of Israel through that very desert. But you can't lead somebody where you've never been. And so God needs Moses not to be in Egypt. He got his education in Egypt, but he's going to get his training now in the desert. And 40 years later, hear what I'm talking about. Moses is going to use the very thing he learned when the devil thought he had him sidelined to lead the children of Israel to the promised land and through that very desert. I need somebody to stop complaining about what you're walking through and give God thanks because God is turning it around for you. God's turning it around. Goliath tried to kill David. And what happened? David cuts off Goliath's head with his very own sword. And I've said it before it's the giants you face that cause you to be promoted. It's true on the job. You don't get promoted on the basis of how nice you are, you get promoted on the basis of what problems can you fix around here? What is your contribution? Hello, somebody. Can you fix some stuff? And once you reach a a level or state of problems that you don't want to mess with it anymore, that's as far as you're getting promoted. You never would have heard of David if David had said, I don't want to face any giants. The only reason David became king was because he killed the giant. And I'm telling you, the giants you face are the reason you become king too. And you need to understand that they're part of your elevation process. Haman was hung on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai. God always turns the weapons of the devil around. God used the attack on Job when Job lost everything as the means whereby he could release a double portion anointing and blessing into the life of Job. Not only restoring everything he lost but giving him twice What he lost. And the devil doesn't even realize it. But before he's over with, the very afflictions of Job that Job faced become the legal means whereby God, since Job retained faith and held on to God, are now responsible for having released his blessing and promotion. God uses the very cross upon which Satan crucified Jesus to bring salvation to man and defeat the kingdom of darkness. God turns Saul, the the, the greatest enemy the church ever had, the New Testament church ever faced and to its greatest apostle. All it takes is give God a little time. He works everything out. All things work together for good. I'm going to say it again. I feel an anointing in this house. All things work together for good. Not 99.5%, all things. And notice who it works together for good too. You say, well, it must be working together for his good because it's sure not working together for mine. Uh-uh. It works together for good to those who love God yeah. and who are called according to his purpose. The key is you've got to find purpose. You've got to find purpose. You've got to get aligned with it. Amen. There's, and why does it work out this way? Huh. It's because there's a kingdom principle that's involved. And this is one of those things I'm teaching, just like Thanksgiving is a kingdom principle that allows you to be promoted to another level, Then what I'm about to teach you is important. It's found in Psalms chapter 7, verse 15 through 16. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them, and their violence comes down on their own head. Irrevocable law. You dig a pit, you will fall in your own pit. The devil's busy digging a pit. That's because God's going to make him fall in it before the end of the day. You see, God balances his books before he goes home at night. You need to understand what I'm talking about here. This is also why I teach people never, but never, but never try to get revenge no matter what anybody's done to you. Because you start digging a pit, you're going to fall into the hole you dug yourself. Hello. What I've learned to do is step back and let God be God. Hello, somebody. He works everything out. Not me, not you. He works everything out. The temptation is to do one of several things. Either number one, we want to step in and fix it. We don't need your help on this one, God. Thank you very much. Call you if I need you. And what's the inevitable result of doing that? You are calling him and you are needing him before very much time has gone by. Oh, God, come fixing this mess I made. It's kind of like trying to do your own plumbing, and you get it so messed up when you call the plumber, he don't want nothing to do with it anymore. I won't tell you what I figured out in life. I wasn't God yesterday. I've said this before. I'm not God today, and I won't be God tomorrow. Number one, you're 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 tempted to want to fix it yourself. (laughs) Let me just say this about that. (laughs) In watching all of this happen through life and being a pastor, I've... I've watched some things come down. Yeah, I've watched some things come down. Let's look at the illustration of David. David and Saul. For God to promote David, he's got a problem. Because somebody's already on the throne, and anything with two heads now is going to be... Let's just say it's, it's, it's going to be unique to the point of being a problem. If he's got two heads, that's not the way that nature intended for it to be. And you can have different divisions of responsibilities. But when you have two persons trying to do the very same thing, there's one word that's going to result from that. Anybody know what it is? Called, yes, chaos. That's the word right there. The big C, chaos. Now watch this because this is really, really important. God's got two problems. He not only has to elevate David, but he's got to demote Saul. The reason he's got to demote Saul is Saul already has the allegiance and loyalty of the people. And so if David is elevated, you now have a division of loyalties and you have chaos in the kingdom of God. Okay? So what God has got to do is be shrewd enough and smart enough to devise a strategy that at the same time it's promoting David is demoting Saul. Saul has already delivered the children of Israel from Jabez, the whatever he was in the 11th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. And, uh, and you know, that whole mountain of ice things. He wanted to pluck out their right eye. And so Saul came and said, mm and uh, so he's mighty in the eyes of israel and so god gets this fellow named goliath And sends him out there. Now here's the key. What you've got to do is back up and not read this as though you're reading entertainment. You've got to look at it strategically from God's perspective. What's God really doing? God has already spoken. There will be a nation of Israel. Through this nation will come the Messiah. And Israel will be the head and not the tail. Blessed coming in, going out. He's spoken all these things. They're going to triumph over their enemies. All of that has already been prophesied. And it's supposed to be happening under Saul. Only guess what? Saul says he don't want any of it. Thank you. I'm going home. I don't want to face that Goliath. Goliath becomes the spiritual, as it were, stronghold in which the enemy, the actual enemy, the spiritual enemy, is resting and residing. He becomes, as it were, the, the figurehead for the spiritual opposition that the Philistines are giving uh, Israel right now and fighting against the the fulfillment of their destiny. So you've got this warfare going on. There's this spiritual warfare. So God stirs up the devil, says, You better watch this guys. And Israel's becoming strong. And they get there. Who's our best chance? Oh, yeah, Goliath, Goliath, you come here. We gotta go out and face, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta teach Israel a lesson. And so it's already written that Israel is going to triumph. It's already decreed. They're gonna be blessed coming in, going out. No weapon formed against them can prosper and all of that. But when it comes time for, for Saul to go face Goliath, people are saying, look, Look at that giant out there. He don't stand a chance. He don't know who our king is. (laughs) Saul's going to deal with him. He will. Just wait five minutes. Saul's going to be out here. Another three minutes. You're going to wish you had never been born, buddy. Uh, Two minutes. Uh, Saul's going to show up anytime. Uh, Fifteen seconds. Uh, Saul's going to be here. Saul, Saul, uh, Saul, Saul. And the whole tent is shaking where Saul is hiding. They go look, and he's hiding under his bed. Saul says, I don't want any of that. His life has fallen into a state of disbelief this is where the enemy wants you afraid cowering in fear rather than facing the opposition this if had he faced it it would have ensured his continuance as king over the nation of israel but because he doesn't now god has another problem god has already spoken this word over israel and his word cannot return to him void are you hearing what i'm saying He's already declared prosperity and victory. And he's declared that Israel would be the head and not the tail. Now, God has a serious problem. And so the problem is Saul don't want it, so God's got to elevate somebody else. Because the principle I've I've shown you is when once God speaks it, the word does not return back to him. He releases it in the heavenly dimension. And when you and I have a word spoken over our life, he can take it back. But we do get to determine whether it happens to us or somebody else. Because if we opt out of the struggle through unbelief or disobedience, God can't take it back. It's still got to happen. It'll just happen to somebody else. Now, if you hang on, if you hang on, I'm going to show you a reason here that some people are blessed, why some are blessed and others are not. I'm also going to show you why some are blessed more than others. And hopefully, if you can grasp this, it will transform your life. So what do we do? We're walking through all of that, and we're grappling about the, the giants we're facing, like Saul. I'm tired. I don't need that. You know, we're going through all of this, and we're uptight and stressed out. And we're complaining about the very vehicle that's carrying us down to Egypt so we can get promoted. No, true, it, uh, what do they used to call them, paddy wagons? Yeah, maybe it was a prison bus. You might not have locked the transportation God was using, but He got you to the right place. You, you get my point here? Amen. Stop griping about how you got there, just be glad you got there. You know, you may have had to hitchhike, you may have had to hop on one foot, but at least you got there. Hello, somebody. As long as you get to your place in the body of Christ. Now, now watch this. I'm really preaching heavy here today. And I'm digging the plow really, really deep to turn up some truth that, that many of us possibly have never considered. So Saul is hiding in his tent. God spoke at a word that he can't take back. And God looks at David and said, okay, Saul don't want it. i elevate David. So he uses the same circumstance to elevate David that he uses to demote Saul. And when David goes out, do you really, in your in your right mind, in my right mind. Do we really think that David, a 16 or 17 year old boy, could face a man of war? I mean, he is Russell Crowe in The Gladiator. That's who this guy is. He is Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. That's, this guy is bad. Bad to the bone bad. I mean, he's done nothing but kill people since he was a boy. Do you really think that David went out there and killed him because he was better? No. Uh-uh. You've been looking that you'd been, oh, poor David, poor David. Yeah, you know, that's what you'd have been doing. That's why his own brothers were talking bad about him. Now, watch it. Whenever God gets ready to do something, and there's a shift about to take place, we often do not understand it. Be careful you don't get on the wrong side. I'm preaching. This. wait, hang on. It's going to get clear in just a minute. It's going to get clear in just a bit. Oh, we don't gossip in the church now. We become too smart and smooth for that now. This is what we do. We don't gossip. Hey, did you hear that thing about what's going on? We don't do that. This is what we do. We, we couch our gossip in concern and compassion. I don't want to talk about them. But did you hear what happened to that brother the other day? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You know, and I'm not gossiping, but where two or three agree is touching anything. <laughs> you know, now I'm not I'm not telling stories. I'm I'm just saying this. They need prayer, and we can join together, and in Jesus' name, we can pray for them. Uh, that, that's that. uh huh. Yeah, I love the story about Mildred the town gossip. I told it to you once before, didn't I? Roy, the town alcoholic, got saved. Mildred was the town gossip. Small community, only had one little shopping center in the middle of town. And Mildred, ah, he won't make it. He won't stay. She was looking for him to fall. And Roy went to get his hair cut one day in that little town shopping center. They had the grocery store. They had the pharmacy. They had the barber shop, and they had a bar. The only parking place Roy had was right in front of the board, so he parked his car, and Mildred was driving along, driving Miss Daisy. And she looks out, and she sees Roy's car parked there. (gasps) And she gets on the phone. Now, I'm not gossiping, but we need to pray for Brother Roy. He's fallen back into his old ways. So after all God did for him, we need to hold him up in prayer, y'all, and remember him in Jesus' name. And somebody came and told Roy what she said. Roy never said a word, never got upset about it. Just on Saturday night, went and parked his car in Mildred's driveway and went home slept. I love that story. I do, I have to tell you. I love that story. Because in ministry, I've, walked, I've watched it work out that way. There have been times I've even laid down and covered people in compassion. I covered their sin, covered them to protect them. And afterward have people that are so wounded that they can't trust anybody. And get up and go and say all kind of bad things when you're trying to help them walk through through something. I don't tell anything. And they're going trying to, they're always already doing damage control out there. You know what I'm talking about? Position, that church is not good. And, that, and all of this. And I just keep on smiling. And some, I've even on some occasions had board members come to me and say, "Do you realize what so and so is being said?" They'll put it on Facebook the day we live in right now. You hear what I'm saying? (laughs) When you know it's true. And I mean, and I just don't say anything, keep on smiling, just hallelujah, God is good. And you know why I do that? Because if I dig a pit, I'm going to fall into it myself. That's an irrevocable law. God balances his own books. You don't need to fix it. Let God fix it. The first temptation is we want to fix it. The second is we want to become discouraged. And discouragement is another word we need to understand. Do you know where the prefix D-I-S comes from? It is the name of a Syrian idol god an idol god that the ancient Syrians worshipped in what is now Syria. D-I-S was the name of a pagan god named after demonic spirits. And that's why you can't use words in your life like or allow them to attach themselves to you such as be discouraged or disrespect or... You hear what I'm talking about? We say it like this, don't let anybody dish you. I'll tell you what I found out about that. Nobody can diss you until you first dissed yourself. You have to give them permission because whatever they say doesn't really get to you unless you let it get to you. And I've learned through the years to just keep my mouth shut because there's a God that if I dig a pit is going to let me fall in it before the day is over and I'm not going to abort my own destiny and blessing. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Let the devil dig all the pits he wants to because God is going to turn it For my good. First thing we want to do is fix it. Second thing we want to do is become discouraged. And the third thing we want to do is become disobedient. And when we become disobedient, now I'll tell you why some get blessed and others don't. Abraham is called to the top of Mount Moriah. Offer your son Isaac. This fledgling nation through which the Messiah has come. There are promises that have been released by God over it. And now then it is time for the patriarchal blessing and all of these this download of stuff that God has released in the heavens. It's time to transfer this from Abraham to Isaac. But to do that, Abraham's got to be obedient. If Abraham had gotten on that mountain and he had become discouraged, disgruntled, disappointed, dissolute, this, 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 this. He would have aborted his own blessing. If he had wanted to fix it himself. He would have dug a trap and fallen into it by himself. He would have gotten trapped by his own devices. And so the next option is to become disobedient. So he can say, no, I'm not doing this. But here's what happens. God is looking for a legal right to give Isaac a download of blessings and anointings and things that have already been released in the heavens. Now, I would submit to you that God is looking for a right to give you a download. Hello, somebody. You don't know what he's spoken already, and I'm concluding with this. He's already spoken it over our lives, already released it. But now he wants to transfer it from that dimension to this one because how many of you know it's not doing us any good as long as it's still in the heavenlies? we got to get it down on the ground where something sound can be found while we're still around, you know, like they say. All right. It's got to get down here where we live. Hello, somebody. And so God is looking to release some things. Let me tell you why some people get blessed. Some people get blessed just because they position themselves to be the conduit through which God transfers anointings and wealth and prosperity and prophecies from that dimension to this one. God's already spoken to them. He can't take it back According to his plan, he works everything out. And if well, I've opted out of the process because like Saul, I'm hiding in my tent. I don't want to face what I've got to go through. Here's what happens. God starts looking around. Is there anybody else that I can use as a conduit? And somebody else stands up and says, use me, Lord. And they get my blessing. Hello, somebody. I don't want anybody taking what God has already spoken over my life. And so they're not only, uh, let me just make it real for you. They're not only driving their blessing, they're driving yours too. They're not just driving their car, they're driving a car that you would have got. They're not only spending their money, they're spending yours too. Because you didn't position yourself to become the conduit that would transfer from that dimension to this one, what God had already spoken. This is the principle that is involved, No. Watch it, watch it. Abraham is positioning himself that God can give Isaac this download. That's what you need to be doing. Position yourself, position your children, position this church, position this ministry. I can't do it by myself. I'm appealing for your help. Find your place. Hello, don't sit behind the home bench and look out and say, don't see what the fuss is over 25 cents. Get the quarterback, get the quarterback. That's not what's going on. Amen. I hesitate to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not here to preach about tithing, but one of the illustrations that best illustrates, I, I actually thought of, prayed about in any number of others, but tithing is still at, way out in front, the best one to illustrate the principle that positioning yourself it's what causes God to be able to give you a download of what he's already spoken in heaven over you. He's already said, say it with me, I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed standing up. I'm blessed sitting down. I'm blessed laying down. I'm blessed standing on one foot. I'm blessed hopping around with my eyes closed. I'm blessed. That's just all there is to it. That's what God said. you understand what I'm saying right now? That's the book of Deuteronomy. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me. I shall... He's already spoken this over your life. Amen. By his stripes, ye were healed. It's already spoken. Oh, there's so many things he's already released over your life, but we don't necessarily manifest it for the reasons that I've been talking about here today. So now then, let's look into it, and I'm concluding with this. Tithing gives me far the best handle to do this because tithing happens to be one of the most misunderstood things in the church. Tithing, people think, is the church trying to get my money, God trying to get my money pastor trying to get my money. They don't even realize that uh, pastors on salary like everybody else. You give or don't give, it's not going to affect us. Amen. You need to understand that about giving. Tithing is not about God getting your money. It's about God giving you money giving you blessings, open the windows of heaven and see if I, uh, uh, prove me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. He works everything out. All things work together for good. And so in the middle of an economic downturn that's supposed to be working for your good, you begin to become what? Your own God in the middle of that and you can figure your own way out or you become discouraged or you become disobedient. And here's what happens. In the middle of an economic downturn, people say, I can't afford to give. When the truth is, during an economic downturn, you can't afford not to. But if your position is, it's about the church getting my money, you'll never get the principle that I'm talking about. God is looking for a way to bring a download into your life. Amen. You get to decide whether it happens to you. Now watch it. And so, God says, be faithful, give, give and see if, it, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. He's already spoken it over your life. He can't take it back. This is what you've got to see. Tell somebody he can't take it back. Would you do that? He, if he spoke it, he cannot take it back. I gave you the verses last week. God has a problem. Like Saul. He's got to promote somebody if Saul don't want it. He's going to have to give it to somebody because he can't take it back. And so what we do in the middle of an economic downturn, we start, stop giving our tithe and we give what we, quote, can afford. We stop tithe and we start tipping. And then God says, what I meant to be the means whereby you would be incredibly blessed now has got to pass from you because you haven't positioned yourself. And he starts looking around and says, is there anybody else that wants it? And there's somebody, a little brother in the church, has been faithful in serving God. And they get blessed, and you start getting mad. Who do they think they are? Mm-mm. It's just not working here. God, you're not fair. Oh, yes, He is fair. He spoke it, He can't take it back. It's up to you to align with the principle. I'm telling you again, don't sit behind the bench at the home team and walk out saying, I don't see what the fuss was all about. Just a quarter. You don't understand the rules, is what you're really saying here. And what I'm trying to teach you is when once the enemy starts testing you, you're right on the verge. Oh God, I wish you could get this, of a tremendous breakthrough in your life. Hello, somebody. You say, but I'm going through hell. You're saying Now watch this. You got to get this right. Say, "Why me?" Oh, come on. You didn't. You didn't. Come on. You 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 can you can act better than that. Come on, women. I know you do it with your husbands at home when you want something. (laughs) Husband, when you want to go fishing or watch the game. Come on, you. Screw up your faces. (laughs) You know how little kids when they're crying they get this shudder. You do that too. God, why me? Never say those two words. The only time you should ever say those two words is if nothing bad is happening. Then you ought to say, why me, God? I want some hell to go on because it shows me that I'm on the verge of a breakthrough in my life. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disobedient. Don't be tempted. Hallelujah. To try to fix it yourself. Send with me across the building and come and join me. Because the principle is, if the enemy digs a pit, he's going to fall into it himself. Prayer counselors are coming. And I want everybody to come join me right now. Would you come and join me and let's pray. There are incredible downloads of things that are about to be released in people's lives mm